And so he was on his week of rotation. So it was normally a week that they would spend Sabbath to Sabbath in the temple. They'd go about their duties in the temple, whatever those duties were. They burned incense, they did certain things, and that were their duties, and so that they would accomplish that. Well, Zechariah uh, was going about his duties. And two things you know about Zechariah that I'll just share with you real quick. He was faithful. That's number one. He's another one of those people in the Bible that you read about and you look at them. They're not perfect. They don't have everything together. They may not be the most gifted. They may not be the smartest. They may not be the people that have a ton of responsibility or whatever it is, but he was faithful, number one. Number two, he was old. Those two things you need to know about Zechariah. Because the, the rest of it becomes clearer as you need to look at, okay, what did the angel have to say to him? Why did an angel appear to him? Why did he receive this revelation? And so, as I said, he's the father, he would be the father of John the Baptist. And this angel had appeared to him, and it was Andrew Gabriel that appeared to him. He's named. Now, interesting fact, in the Bible, no angel is named until after the Babylonian exile. You don't see any names. So, so Daniel, when you start reading in Daniel, you'll see Michael, the name Michael. And then twice here in the New Testament, you see Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel was the angel that appeared to Mary, and Gabriel was also the angel that, that appeared to Joseph. And then in the Old Testament Apocrypha, there was also an angel named there, Raphael, who appeared it was in the book of Tobit. So, those are the ones we, we know. And so, I thought that was just kind of a little factoid, kind of interesting factoid about angels. Well, Gabriel, the name of this angel, appeared to Zechariah, and it was Zechariah and Elizabeth had been, never had a child. They were old. And so the angel came to tell them that they were going to have a child. And he gave them some details about the child. It's going to be miraculous, supernatural, powerful, because they're way too old to have kids. Way too old. Way past the point where they could have a natural childbirth. They're kind of the same boat as Abraham and Sarah. Remember them? That kind of boat. That they just way past. It's going to take a miracle. It's going to take something supernatural going to happen so that they could have this child. And so Zechariah received some details about that, received some details about the name of the child. He understood that. And uh, in part of his encounter with the angel, he began to speak to the angel and question whether or not this was possible it could happen. He began to express doubt. He began to express unbelief. And so the angel uh, declared over him he wouldn't be able to speak until the birth of his son. And so just shut down. And I'll, I'll talk about this later on, but he, he basically, and I want you to see it as an act of mercy, the angel just shut down that devil sound. All right, that doubt, that, that unbelief that he was proclaiming in the presence of an angel. I mean, think about that. He, he was in the midst of a supernatural encounter, and he began expressing all kinds of doubt about it whether it could happen or not. And that's really interesting. It's like, if he's going to do it in the presence of the angel, what do you think would have happened two weeks down the road? A month down the road, right? Well, that got taken care of. He couldn't talk. Right? He couldn't talk. And so, as an act, I see that as an act of mercy that the angel 
did that. And so uh, he was unable to speak. The people were waiting for him outside because he was late. I mean, yeah, think about their religion. Everything has a prescribed time. You know, it's kind of like I used to, to preach at churches. And so <laughs> I'd go out and I'd preach on a Sunday. Well, there was standard times for church services. So, so church standard time in the churches I was speaking at was 11 a.m. is when it started, promptly at 11, and it would go until exactly 12.30. That was it. And so everything that God was going to do needed to take place between 11 a.m. and 12.30. That was prescribed time. And so there, there are lots of things if you think about religion, people like that. They like predictability. Those of you that grew up Catholic, you know the Mass starts at a certain time. The Mass is over at a certain time. Period. Period. And if it doesn't end at a certain time, people just get up and leave. That's the way it is. And so, and so this was kind of one of those situations that the priest would go in and the priest would do his priest thing. You know, in, in the Holy of Holies or the Holy Place, whatever he was doing in there, the incense, the candles, whatever he was doing in there, offering intercession for the people. The people were outside praying. They were praying. He was offering intercession. Everything happened in a prescribed manner. And at the prescribed time, he would come out and he would bless the people that are out there praying. That's what was going to happen. Well, he didn't come out. And I'm sure some of those people just left, right? Yeah. But other people waited because they were like, I wonder why he didn't come out. You know? And, and you got to think about it. It's like they, they, weren't as, they, they didn't have as much amusement in life as we do. And so maybe this was exciting. I don't have any idea. But as a mystery for today, the priest did not come out at the prescribed time. And the Bible even said they used the word there. Now, the word he uses, they marveled that he didn't come out at the prescribed time. So they were standing outside waiting for him, and some of them marveled at that. Yeah, and so this was a point of interest. And so he comes out, I'm just telling you the story, he comes out, and when he came out, he's supposed to bless them. But what do we know about Zechariah and his encounter with the angel? Can't talk, can't bless them. So now, he's like trying to motion to him, let him know he can't do it, because he's got a job to do, but he can't, and so they're all like, then they perceive through something, a look on his face, the motions that he was making, something that was happening, they perceive somehow that he had a, a supernatural encounter, and that, extra, yeah, that was definitely worth the wait, extra excitement, yeah. And so what was interesting about it in the verse you read there is that, and my favorite part of the story is, he has this awesome, supernatural, God's going to do a miracle, God's going to do this impossible thing, encounter with an angel. He can't talk, and also he can't hear. There's another spot where it talks about, so he was deaf and mute, both. So he comes out deaf and mute, but he has a supernatural experience. All these great things happen. People are excited. They're marveling at it. 
and the Bible just says he completed his week of service after that. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't go home, he didn't get debriefed by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he just completed his week of service as a priest, and then went home after that. Mm-hmm. You know why? What was number one about Zechariah, did I say? Faithful. He's faithful. Yeah. Yeah, and that was his duty. And so he completed his week. And after he completed his week, he went home and he was able to tell a fight. Now, he lived probably about 20 miles away. And so, you know, he had to walk home. And it's the way that they came. So he would come into Jerusalem for a week a year, do his priestly duty, and then head back. And that would be his priestly duty. That's what he did. And so he headed home, and then he was able to tell his wife the exciting news that she was going to get pregnant. And then have stuff. Now, a couple things I've mentioned in that, and I want to I highlight in the story. Not that I skipped anything, sorry. I was just trying to give you some highlights of the story. But I want you to think about a couple things about that. One is the, the model of, and if you read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, you see that the whole setup that God did with the temple and the priests and all that, uh, was a, it, was, it was really pointing toward some of the work of Jesus and some of the things that he was going to do. And Zechariah, as I mentioned, his function inside, when he was in the holy, the holy place, the holy place, his function in there was to burn incense. His function was to go about making intercession. And so you had people praying outside, and they were just lifting up their prayers, they were doing what they were doing, and you had this guy, this priest, that was on their behalf making intercession while they were praying. And interestingly, uh, I don't know if sometimes we, we give enough credit, to, but that's part of the role that Jesus is involved in right now. Part of what Jesus is doing right now on our behalf is making intercession for us. And so in the same way, he was in there, and, and really that was a type, that was just a, a stand-in for what Jesus was going to be doing, but in a real way, he's doing that right now, not in a physical temple, but actually in the presence of the Father. And so all the stuff that that stood for and all the stuff that that represented is really going on now. As we're praying, as we're just asking God for stuff, as, as we are just going to town in our prayer, because prayer is how stuff gets done in the kingdom. That's how it gets done. And, and I encourage you to pray. I really encourage you to pray. I know we're in a prayer emphasis. And so as we're in this prayer emphasis, this three-week prayer emphasis, we've got two weeks left. And I want to encourage you to pray. Because that's how stuff gets done in the kingdom. And so we need to take the time. We need to spend the time in prayer. How things get done. And one of the things that needs to happen when we're praying and if you can do this, I encourage you to do it, is to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Paul talked about that. He said, I talked about, you know, I'll sing in the Spirit, I'll sing with the understanding also. I'll pray in the Spirit, I'll pray with the understanding also. The idea is, is that praying in the Spirit is, is that sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to pray through you. And the way that that manifests in us, the way that I understand the manifestation of it, at least in me, is I pray in tongues. <laughs> now, tongues is something I don't know the language I don't understand. And, and the Bible talks about that, that the, the Holy Spirit will make intercession through us with groanings and utterings that, utterances that we really don't know what they are. And I consider that tongues because I don't know. 
But because I don't know, my thinking doesn't get in the way. I mean, maybe I'm praying for something completely impossible. I have no idea. And then the reason I don't have any idea for a lot of that is that my brain may object to some of the things that God has me praying for. Just may. Or it may be things that maybe I can't see in people's lives, but I'm, I'm praying and I'm interceding for people when I'm praying in the Spirit in tongues, and I don't understand what I'm saying, but if I did understand it, maybe I'd look at that and I'd say, well, that seems kind of mean. Why am I praying that? But that's what they need. You follow what I'm saying, kind of? And so I need to make that a part of my prayer time. Because there's things I'm going to pray in the Spirit that I might not pray with the understanding. The things I'm going to pray in the Spirit that maybe I'd be hesitant to. Or the doubt would rise up in my mind. The doubt would rise up in my heart about if I knew what I was praying for. And then the idea behind praying in the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit prays through us. And there's one thing you know, and I've talked about this before, that if you pray the will of God, one thing you know, absolutely, if you pray the will of God, what you pray is done. Because God does His will. And as we pray in accordance with His will, what we pray is done. And so praying in the Spirit guarantees, because the Holy Spirit is not at odds with the Father, who is not at odds with the Son, who is not at odds with the Holy Spirit. And so the three in one are in one accord. And so when they pray, when the Holy Spirit prays through us, we're praying the will of God. So that is a perfect, efficient prayer. It needs to be employed in the times that we pray. And so this is just my friendly reminder that I give every now and then, that if, when you pray, and you sit down to pray, you take the time to pray, pray with the understanding, but also pray in the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit pray through you. And, and let, let God use you in that. And, and if you, you don't speak in tongues, talk to somebody before you leave. We'll pray over you. And we'll pray that you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues before you leave here. Um, I'm not afraid to pray over you at all. And, and if that's something that you're interested in, that's something you want, be happy to do it. Be happy to do it. And so, um, it's just a, another tool. It's another weapon that we have. Another tool in our, our, our tool bag as we pray and as we believe God. How stuff gets done in the kingdom. And so, Jesus... Now, I was talking about Jesus being our intercessor. So, as Zechariah represents that in his story, well, Jesus did that. And that's what he does right now. I mean, that, that's, his, that's part of his function right now. And I don't know, sometimes I think we think of Jesus right now as just sitting at the right hand of the Father. Like, that's all he does all day. It's just sit at the right hand of the Father. But there's more to it than that. He has other things, other functions that... He's a part of. And so one of the, the big functions that he's a part of right now is him making intercession and mediation on our behalf. Like Zechariah was doing in the temple, that type of that, that, that form of that, well, he's literally doing that for the Father. So a couple of verses we look at. Uh, somebody look at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. 
so he so he lives always to make intercession for us. All right. So the book of Hebrews is a great book if you really want to begin to understand the side of Jesus. You know, not the not the happy Jesus side, like the the like the happy, friendly, cuddly Jesus side, but maybe <laughs> the side of Jesus that he's our high priest. The side of Jesus where he's the perfect sacrifice. The side of Jesus that speaks to the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament law through him. And you want to begin to understand how that works and how that all fits together. The book of Hebrews is great for that. Because it speaks to part of the ministry. It speaks to part of what Jesus is up to right now. And how that affects us and how that's a part of our lives and why it's important. Somebody else look at 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Verse 72, verse 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom as a ransom for all people. This is hot. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. All right, so this verse, I'm going to say this, understand what I'm saying. This verse clearly states there's one mediator. And I know some of you grew up here and tell there are other mediators. There are no other mediators. There's one mediator. And that's Jesus. That's it. That's it. There's no other mediator. If you want to believe, there's other mediators, but there's no other mediator. He's it. I'm uncomfortable with that. Yeah. I can't help that. And so this verse, it's just very clear, very clear teaching of the early church, very clear teaching that Jesus is the mediator. He's the one. And so Zechariah was the, he, he was like the, the fuzzy example of, of what Jesus was be doing. And there he was. And so Jesus is that. So when you pray, He's praying with you. He's interceding for you as you pray. And it's important to recognize that. It's important to recognize that part of his function that he's pulling for you and your prayers. And so when we pray, we need to recognize the role of Jesus ultimately in our prayers to the Father. And how he is on our behalf mediating interceding with the Father. And so, uh, for me, that's, that's a powerful encouragement to me. Keep praying. That's a powerful encouragement to me to pray for the unlikely. To pray for the impossible. To pray for the healing. To pray for the wholeness. To pray for the deliverance. Pray for the miraculous. To pray for the dead to be raised. Because it's not just me. It's not just you 
but we have a mediator and we have an intercessor that's backing us up while we pray. Jesus. And so recognizing that, to me, encourages me to pray for some of those kind of crazy, impossible things. Because he's a God of the impossible. He's a God of the supernatural. He's a God who can do anything. And he's shown himself over and over again as a God who can literally do anything. And he's the one that's backing all of our prayers. At least the ones that he's going to back. When I say all, I mean all the ones he's going to back. Like you may not be backing your prayer for, you know, whatever it is, that new horse that you want. So I don't know. You might be. You might be, though. You don't know. So you pray it. If he's backing it, guess what? You might be riding in style by the summer. I don't know. All I'm saying is, is that he's on your side. And, and I think it's important we see him that way. It's on our side. I think I pray for a Lamborghini before I pray for a Porsche. Yeah. Just personally. Yeah. Whatever. So then I had a supernatural experience. And so the angel came and he spoke to him and gave you some good news. It's kind of interesting because the word used there for what, how the angel expressed himself to Zechariah is the word we use for evangelize. It's the same exact word. So Gabriel came to Zechariah, met up with him in the temple, in the holy place, and evangelized him. He wanted to give him some good news. It was literally good news because it was about the good news. It's about the gospel. Because what was about to happen is is that he was speaking to Zechariah and saying, all right, you're, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be a prophet, and he's going he's to prepare people for the Messiah. And it would be the ushering in of Jesus that was going to bring the gospel to the masses, the gospel to everyone. And so literally, as you read this, Gabriel is evangelizing, starting with Zechariah. He'll give you some good news today. And interestingly, Zechariah heard the angel, but when he opened his mouth, his unbelief spoke instead. Right? If you read what he said after that, you see, you can hear God. Be careful when you open your mouth, though. Because he opened his mouth, and instead of speaking faith, Instead of confirming what the angel had spoken to him, instead of speaking some kind of belief, he spoke in unbelief. That's what spoke out of it. So we need to be careful. You know, people, I think, sometimes take this a little too far, but our words do have meaning. Words have meaning. And when you say things, it has meaning. You know, people go, oh, I, I didn't know I said that. What do you mean you didn't know you said that? I've had people literally tell me that. Well, I didn't know I said that. You opened your mouth and you spoke the words. Explain that to me. Right? Words have meaning. 
And so when we use words, it's important that we choose our words, we think about our words, and we speak words that are going to actually matter. They're going to make sense. They're going to be something that edifies, something that builds, something that moves things forward. Especially when you have an encounter. And you look at something like this, and God speaks to him, he receives this word, Gabriel speaks to him, he hears the angel, opens his mouth, and immediately begins to spew out some unbelief. Disbelief in what the angel had to say. He had a vision. Now, very clearly, though, when it speaks of him having this kind of a vision, it's an awake one. He didn't fall asleep in the temple. And I've had ones where I fell asleep and I see something when I'm sleeping like a dream. That's not what this was. He was awake. He saw this. He was aware of his surroundings. He saw what was going on around him. And so this was something that was a supernatural encounter in him, and he was awake for it. So he had this vision, this supernatural thing happened to him. And he received a word. It was a prophetic word, a creative word in his life. How was it creative? He's going to have a son. An impossible situation. Impossible. He was old. His wife was old. Way past childbearing years. It was done. They were all done. So it was a creative word that was going on. A prophetic word that was going on. Supernatural provision. The Bible says that soon after he returned home, so he had that week of service, he returned home soon after it says that she conceived and was pregnant. How soon? <coughs> we don't know. Probably a few days. But a few days later, she conceived and was pregnant. That was impossible. It was impossible. And yet it was done. But that's kind of how God works. Think about their situation. They were of a priestly family. Right? Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were, they were pretty. He was a priest. And so they were a priestly family. They were of the tribe of Aaron. It was a particular, a descendant of Aaron, I should say. There was a particular calamity for them not to be able to bear children. It was, it was a particular disgrace. The reason was is that the priest could only come from the descendant of Aaron. There were other Levites from the tribe of Levi, but this particular group of the descendants of Aaron, they could only come from that. So think about that. How many times could it possibly happen that one of the descendants of Aaron, one of the priests, weren't able to have children? And over how many generations does that mean there's going to be less priests as they move forward? Do you kind of follow what I'm saying? They're a particular, they're a particularly small group of people that need to have kids to perpetuate the religion of the day. That was one of the requirements. And so because it's only their descendants that could possibly be a priest, so only the descendants of the priest could be priests. So when a priest didn't have any descendants, that was a particular calamity. And that was a particular shame over people in their society and the economy of the way people saw that. But that's why. And so they had borne that reproach their whole lives that they were married. Is that, and 
particularly the woman, because even if it wasn't her fault, they blamed her anyway. And so she had borne that reproach her whole marriage. And she was old. And so here was this moment, this impossible moment that she conceived. Too late, past her prime, I mean past her prime, past her time. He was past his time, she was past his time, and yet a supernatural occurrence came and she conceived Christ. Now, as I said before, the, the angel that made Zechariah mute did him a kindness, in a real sense. Because as he began to speak in, in that doubt, as he began to speak that, that unbelief, you see, that begins to affect the people around him. And understand, as I said before, your words have meaning. Be careful. Be careful before you speak. When people begin to share with you what they're believing for, when people begin to share with you things that they believe God has spoken to them, when people begin to share with you things that God has shown them, God has said to them, be careful how you respond to that. Because we don't want to be a people that destroy other people's faith. We don't want to be a people that destroy other people's hope. We don't want to be a people that destroy other people's belief in what God has said and what God is doing. We just don't want to be that way. We want to be encouragers. We want to be people that speak light into things. We want to be people that speak truth into things. And there may be some things that sometimes where, where God has us correct people or God has us say something to people that you know, about something they're sharing. That's okay. That's okay when those times come. All right, But just be careful how you do it. I think there's a certain kindness and a certain gentleness in the way that we can do that and bring correction over people that doesn't discourage them, that doesn't just, just destroy them, but encourages them to continue to listen and encourages them to continue to hear what God is saying. You probably never noticed this, but on, on Sundays, like even during worship, I have a microphone in front of me. I don't know if you noticed that. I don't particularly sing a lot. I do sometimes, but not much. The reason the mic's there is because I need to stay. Alright? Because, uh, I mean, I, I know I have a beautiful voice, but <laughs> I don't have to share it all the time. The reason the mic's there is in case I need to say something. Alright? Because <laughs> every now and then, and it hasn't happened in a while, but every now and then, something will happen that needs to be addressed. You know, some disruption. Something will happen, somebody will say something, something weird will go on or whatever, which is fine. I'm not worried about it. I'm not concerned about it in any sense other than keeping things in order. And so if, if, and when that happens, and this happens, I have to be careful, and I'm always mindful of this, how I address that. So I'm going to use that mic. That I'm not singing into, and you may have wondered why it's there, but I'm going to step into that mic and I'm going to say something, and I need to be careful of how I do that. And I'm mindful of that. Because I, I want people, I want people to hear God. I want people to express what God wants to say through them. I want people to uh, just be free in how God is going to use them and what God is going to say. 
And that's my heart. And so all of us have a responsibility, all of us, to speak not only truth to one another, but to speak truth in kindness and love and mercy and grace. Now, Zechariah, I don't know what was up with him, but the angel took care of him. He started to speak unbelief, he started to speak doubt, and he was made mute until John was born. Interestingly, uh, in the story, and I taught on this uh, around Christmas time, uh, Elizabeth hid herself for five months. You remember that part of the story? Now, I thought that was interesting because this is a miracle, right? Supernatural, angelic visitation. Gabriel himself showed up and said, you're going to get pregnant. She got pregnant. Lord did exactly what he was going to do. She's going to have a son. All this is taking place. I mean, just one thing after another is taking place. So she gets pregnant but hides herself. And I thought that's really interesting. I mean, maybe she hit herself, and there could be a number of reasons that she did. Maybe she just wanted to make sure it took. All right? I'm actually pregnant. I looked pregnant after five months. You can kind of tell. After five months, you know, you got, got the pregnant thing going on. And so maybe she waited until then. So it wasn't just her saying it. It wasn't just her saying, oh, this is what happened. You know, the angel, Gabriel, blah, 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 blah. Well, it's not just blah, blah, blah. I'm an old lady and I'm pregnant. So maybe that was it. I, I don't know. But I do know this. If she hit herself in five months, she probably didn't need to hear Zechariah spewing any kind of doubt or unbelief during that time. That I will say. And so there was a specific kindness that was done. And, and I know sometimes we look at the, how God does things like, like, oh, he's deaf and mute. That's terrible. Well, no, it was a particular kindness, I think, actually. And to be able to see it as that, to be able to see it as a kindness, not only towards Zechariah, but also toward Elizabeth. And, and there's sometimes that things befall us, and in the midst of it we think, oh, why did this happen to me? It's terrible. But then, if you look at it a year later, and you look back, or two years later, and you look back, you see that it, it could be one of the best times of your life. But you just couldn't see it when it was happening. It might have been one of the best times of faith that you've ever had in your entire life. It could have been a time where God was just doing miracle after miracle through you. But you couldn't see it at the time because things seemed so hard. And, and so we, we can't always see things for what they are in the midst of it. But by looking at it maybe later and getting a better perspective on it, we begin to see God's hand in it. And we, see, we begin to see the goodness in it, even though it seems terrible at the time. And so, I see this as one of those things. There's a goodness in it. the kindness in it. And so Zechariah, there he was. Uh, you know, he expressed himself, he was distrustful, he was unbelieving, those words, but... You know, doubt, and that's what it is, doubt, it, it, it causes a silence in us. And, and I'd rather have a silence from me than to spew unbelief, distrust, and doubt in people's lives. I'd just rather be silent. So he was. He was. 
so uh, it was through what happened, the actual happening, that God confirmed the faith of Zechariah over time. He wasn't able to speak any words of doubt. He wasn't able to speak any words of distrust. He wasn't able to speak any words of, of unbelief. <coughs> but over time, because it was after John was born that he actually had a son, his faith was confirmed. Without him ever having to speak a word that would have caused or, or broken into the faith of anyone else. We got honored that. God honored that. So, uh, I want to go back to the idea of Zechariah finishing up the week that he was involved in. Because uh, I think that's really interesting. Is that he finished up his week of service in the temple. After everything that happened. I mean, all this stuff that went on. The, the Gabriel, everything. And he, he, he was out for other people. He can't talk. He can't hear. All these things. But yet he still finished up his week. And, and really he was still able to, to burn incense. He was still ever perform the duties of his office. The only thing, what did I say he couldn't do? He couldn't come out and speak a blessing to other people. But everything else he was able to do. And maybe he just came out and waved his hands. I have no idea. Like, you know, whatever they did back then. You know, the Pope gets up on his balcony and he just makes a sign or whatever. I mean, yeah. Maybe that's what he did. I have no idea. Yeah, you know, I, I was talking to somebody that used to work in a... a kind of a meat packing facility and they had uh, meat that was halal and so the imam would have to come in and bless it but it was just basically standing there and making a motion or whatever how they made their motion and he bless it or if something is kosher the rabbi comes in and blesses it they got a way to do that and that's what he did I have no idea I know it's no clue but, but somehow he performed his duties, somehow he was able to do it, somehow he was able to get things done and finish up his week. Still able to do it. Then he returned 20 miles away and went back to his house. He never, he never left his post, left his duty, or left his responsibility. What I say about it, number one, faithful. Faithful. And just keep that in mind. There's a quote I read uh, concerning this verse. Uh, I'll read others for you. I don't know who said it, but it says this He that for trifling causes forsakes his post is unfaithful. I'll read that again. He that for trifling causes forsakes his post is unfaithful. Faithfulness has lost uh, it's lost its uh, charm for people. And, And what do I mean by that? I mean it's just lost any like its value in our society. The idea of duty, the idea of being faithful, and and, and being steadfast. Uh, I don't know what happened, but it used to be like I'm I'm an old movie guy. I like watching old movies, and there are certain things in old movies that are highlighted. Things like honesty, faithfulness. 
duty, honor. I mean, you think about that. And whether it was a Western or maybe some of those war movies or whatever it would be, I mean, just in, in, and even now, I was watching uh, like a bunch of old Christmas movies uh, over the week around Christmas. And even some of those movies, people were just working in stores. Uh, I was watching a movie, and uh, Jimmy Stewart was in the movie, and he was just working in a store. But the idea that he was there every day, and that he was faithful to what he was supposed to do in the store, and the other people were there every day, and they were faithful to what they were supposed to do in the store. And there's a delivery boy that was there every day, and you could count on him being there every day. And he would go and he would run his duties, and he'd come back, and he would still be there every day. And, that, and it was highlighted in the movie how that is something to be honored. It was something to be expected, but it was also something to be honored. <clears throat> even if, and, and what happened in the movie, even if the boss was mean to him, which he was in the movie, he was still faithful to his duty. He was still faithful to what he was supposed to do. And you say, well, it's just a movie. Well, it is just a movie, but it's the idea that it was something that at least had some kind of value to it. Something happened along the way. And you look at modern, uh, kind of modern portrayals of uh, people, whether it's a television show, a movie, or whatever, faithfulness and duty and honor, they don't have the same value that they used to. They just don't. And, and the, they've been replaced by, well, do whatever you feel. Whether that interferes with your duty, whether it interferes with what you're supposed to be doing or not, what you're supposed to be doing, your duty and your honor, yeah, forget that, just do whatever you feel. And that's what you value. And I just want to encourage you that in the kingdom and in the economy of the kingdom of God, what we're looking at, we're talking about here, faithfulness is honor. Duty is honor. Steadfastness is honor in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and so, in a real sense, that idea, that old-fashioned idea, it's fairly countercultural in the culture that we live in now. And so you can't expect the people that you run into to back you up on that. You can't expect the people that maybe you're hanging out with that are, are not really a part of the kingdom of God to really even understand why would you care? Why would you be there? Why would you be faithful? Why would you uh, do any of those things? Why? Why would you be steadfast? Why would you just do what you want to do? Well, that's their value. And you can't expect them to agree with you on that or, or to encourage you into that. In fact, you can expect them to discourage you from that. Because that's what they believe. And that's no bust on them. That's just who they are. Even if they're nice people, they might be wonderful people, they might be people that you really like, they might be funny, they might be fun to be with, they could be all of those things, but you can't expect them to encourage you toward a faithfulness and a duty in your life. Because they don't share that value. And maybe you're working on it right now. 
Maybe you didn't come into this with that value. There's people coming into the kingdom every day that don't have those values. That's just the way it is. And so we model that. I hope, hope our kinships are modeling that. hope our church is modeling that. hope our service together is modeling that. I hope we're modeling that at work. I hope we're modeling that at school. I hope we're modeling this idea that we're going to be faithful. And we're going to stay steadfast. I hope. And so I just want to encourage you toward that and give you that kind of word of, I don't think it's warning, but it is a word of, uh, of just being aware. <clears throat> that if you're looking for an encouragement from the wrong place, seriously not going to get it. You're not going to get a bunch of people to understand what you're doing and what you're talking about. And so, we look to Scripture. What we see in the Scripture, we see faithful people. And God honors them. I guess this, Zechariah, I mean, I hope you got the impression that he wasn't a perfect guy, right? I mean, he was struck deaf and mute. Because he was spewing unbelief and distrust. And what God was saying to him, to his face, through a supernatural experience with an angel. So, it gives a little bit of his personality. Not a perfect guy. Okay. He was faithful. God honors that. And so, in the next step for us, and I wanted you to hear me, is we need to honor that. We need to honor faithfulness. We need to honor duty. We need to be a people that can see things like that and honor faithfulness more than we honor gifting. And that's not really human. You know, like, like the regular human condition thing. Human nature. We honor giftings over faithfulness. But faithfulness is, in the economy of the kingdom, is a lot more important than gifting. And so if we're going to come more and more into line with God, we're going to come more and more into line with the values, we're going to come more and more in line with the kingdom, well, we're going to start honoring faithfulness over gifting. Talents. Those kind of things. Duty. Steadfastness. But those are the things that God honors. We need to put ourselves into that also. And you might think to yourself, how do you honor duty and steadfastness and faithfulness? Well, how do you honor gifting? How do you honor charisma? How do you honor talents? Think about it. And, and really begin to apply that. And say, alright, well, maybe I need to see things from a different perspective. Maybe I need to, to, to reevaluate what I notice <coughs> around me and apply some of the same honor that I give to those talents and those giftings to that. I mean, it's not very flashy. I know that. But it's important. It's important. You know, somebody shows up to prayer almost every morning. Do you know that? They open the church and they pray in here. I used to do it. I, I did prayer, morning prayer. You know who showed up sometimes? Me. <laughs> That's right. And I prayed. I'd open the church, sit down, and I, I just remember in the morning as I come in, I think it was earlier, I think it was like 7.30 we had prayer. 
and, and there was sometimes, you know, the winter time, it's kind of dark still, especially around here. And I was always happy as the sun began to come up earlier, and it was more like daytime when I was showing up, and, and just sitting there and thinking, oh, this is awesome, it's light out, and I'm here, and I was driving in the daylight, and it was just nice. Some days people would be there, that's always exciting. But somebody's doing that. Somebody's doing that. Somebody's done that. I've done it. Missy's done it. Jeannie, you're doing it, right? Yeah. Well, it's a part of who we are as a church is that we pray. And we start our day praying. And if it's just one person, we're praying. Thank you. And I honor that because that's faithful. And, and, it, and it represents the people that are battling prayer. Whether they're here or not. And that has to be the perspective. Because you go into things that well, nobody cares. Yeah, they do actually. It's not very good at showing a lot of times. That's thing what I'm talking about. Is Zechariah is in the house of the Lord, the, the temple, and he has a supernatural encounter. Everything happens. Set the mute. Angel Gabriel finishes up his week. He's faithful. Takes a twenty-mile hike back to his house. And I want you to think about a contrast, or maybe a comparison. But I want you to think in terms of the house of the Lord and the house of Zechariah. And, and what's happening between those two things. And I know there's 20 miles in between. With 20 miles to us is nothing. You get in your car, you drive 20 miles, you're there. Right, that's nothing. But if you're walking it, 20 miles becomes a little bit more. So you got to think in terms of, okay, so it's a little bit further. And, 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 and the economy of actually getting there and back. But you got the house of the Lord and the house of Zechariah. You've got a supernatural encounter that goes on at the house of the Lord, Gabriel, Zechariah, everything that happens there. But then you have a supernatural event that takes place at the house of Zechariah. Follow it? So... Anything that we begin to understand as far as what it means to encounter God, what it means to spend time in His presence, what it means to, to, to have some kind of a supernatural reality take place needs to affect our lives. Not just that moment, but our real lives where we live. And so it's not just the house of the Lord, it's my house. It's where I actually live. It's where I actually go about my life. And it's in my job. And it's my school or wherever it is that I do. It has to affect that. One of the, one of the things that I'm a firm believer in, you know, we have times in, in, in our times of service where we give just an open time for God to speak. We give an open time for God to do something miraculous. And we've seen some really exciting times in our church where God does miraculous things. We see people delivered up front, or we see uh, people that fall out on the power of the Holy Spirit. We see people healed. 
and you know, whatever else that God is doing. We see that. We see supernatural manifestations of what God is saying, what God is doing in our midst. Awesome. But if it ends there, follow me on this, if that's where it ends, then it's not the fruit that we really need to experience. I mean, those times are fun. Those times are experientially awesome. And those times are interesting. And those times are exciting. But those times, if we're going to experience those times, need to have an effect on where we live. Need to have an effect on where we go to school, where we go to work. They need to affect our lives. That's why we experience them. But if we're unwilling to translate what we experience in God's presence when we're gathered together, wherever that is, upstairs, over here, wherever it is, if we're unwilling to translate that into where we live and we go to school and we go to work, then why bother? And I mean that. I mean it. Because there's ways to whip up excitement when you gather together, there's ways to do it. I know there's ways to do it. Seen and done it. But the reality of that is, is we have encounters here so that that can affect our lives. Where we live. Where we work. Where we play. And that's the point. And so, I want to let that be the last thing I say here, is that Zechariah had this supernatural experience in the house of the Lord, but that had to have an effect in the house of Zechariah, which it did. He went home, and we don't have any reason to believe there was anything supernatural, per se, that happened when he got home. Because what, what do you think happened? Him and his wife, they, they, you know, they made, they made love. It could have been supernatural, but they made love. And his wife conceived in a natural fashion, but it was really a supernatural fashion. But see, he believed enough that he went home and he did what he needed to do to see the fulfillment of what God was doing. In other words, his encounter, his supernatural, awesome Gabriel encounter in the temple that day affected his life at his house. It changed what he was doing. And it opened the door for the supernatural to come right home with him and to affect where he lives. It did. John was born. John grew up, and John was a prophet, and John preached, and John led people to repentance, and baptized people, and John prepared the way for Jesus. So, let take a moment, I just want to encourage you to really consider a couple things. One is, uh, I want to encourage you to pray. During these weeks, tough stuff gets done in the kingdom. So pray. We need to pray with the Spirit. We need to pray with the understanding also. I want you to think about faithfulness. 
what it is to be faithful, and how that's valued and honored in the kingdom of God. I want you to think about your words, be a person of encouragement, be a person that builds up. I also want you to think about allowing your encounter with, encounters with God the supernatural. Things that happen in the house of God can really affect and change where you live, where you work, and where you play. What do you think about those things? Heavenly Father, I thank you for I thank you for the supernatural. I thank you, God, that there are times in our lives where you just show up. That we see you, we experience you, we hear you, we uh, just see your glory, we see your power, we see your manifestation. I thank you for those times. I thank you, God, that uh, you are faithful to your people for that. I just pray we're people that allow that to really change us and really affect who we are, wherever we go, where we live, where we work, where we play. I pray that as we encounter the supernatural God, as a supernatural people, we'll be a supernatural person in those places, living, working, and playing. For some of us tonight, God, I pray that you would change our values about faithfulness and honor and duty. Pray, God, that if we have allowed things of this world really uh, influence us, maybe unknowingly or accidentally, or just maybe we're never taught that these are things to be valued. I pray, God, that you'd help us to change our perspectives tonight on how you honor faithfulness. And in the economy of the kingdom, how faithfulness and duty are important. They're important. And so God, tonight I pray that we would come into line with how you see things instead of how our friends see things or how our acquaintances see things or maybe even how our family saw things. I pray we would come into line with how you see things. Yeah. I pray that you raise us up with encouragers, people who speak truth and love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give me thanks tonight. Ask God that you would affect changing us, challenge things that need to be challenged. Pray we could change our minds when they need to be changed. I pray we come more and more in line with you. I pray we're open to what you want to say to us, what you want to show us. We're open to the supernatural in our lives. I pray God that you have your way. We give you thanks tonight. We expect more. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.